Okay. Hello, hello. Hey, everyone. My name is Nigel. Thank you for coming in to the next episode of The Bridge, Transition from Web 2 to Web 3 from Talent at Web 3. Today, we have Renz Chong joining us from ReaderDAO. Um, I will save the introductions to let him do uh, the explanation of what, where he is from, who he is, and what is ReaderDAO. Hey, Renz, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Nigel. Happy to be here. Uh, hi, everyone. Awesome. Yeah. Um, without, yeah. Further ado, please please share with us your Web three origin story. Yeah, I guess I kind of want to give my background first, uh, even before I graduated. So uh, I am an avid gamer. Um, I used to play like ever since I was a child, and my parents would often like scold me because I would prioritize playing over, you know, like studying for exams. But I guess like that that's like a common story for. You know, uh, a bunch of guys who are very like I guess addicted uh, in playing in general, right? Uh, especially my age, of some sort. Again, I'm uh, an avid gamer, and my journey really started like I guess after um, college. I immediately went to consulting. My course back in Ateneo is management engineering, and oh, basically no. uh, people call it like the jack of all trades, master of none. And in a sense, like that's basically what we do, right? We kind of have like snippets uh, of pretty much like everything with no specific like mastery of anything. So it's up to us to kind of like determine our own path. And hence, like consulting became like the natural path for me because uh, like, you know, my course, it was basically uh, different industries, different markets, and you kind of have to like know everything and at the same time, like, you know, be sort of an expert or knowledgeable on like uh, different things, right? After some time, that was back in 2017, after some time I realized that, you know, consulting work may be interesting, but at the same time, um, it's mostly back-end work. Uh, you perform recommendations, different strategies, work with teams uh, to identify like the best possible execution, but not really partaking in the execution part of things. Uh, at least that's for my consulting company. And so I realized that you know, it's time for me to kind of like get in the ground and do some dirty work. So after my consulting stint, I then moved to a startup. It's more chaotic. Uh, it's more on the ground and you really have to do the dirty work. So pretty sure like um, a lot of people here are very familiar with the first startup that I joined, which is Ancas. It's a back riding motorcycle um, service here in the Philippines. At one point, like I think it became like one of the most prominent mode of transportations here just because of like, you know, the traffic and uh, road situations. And uh, my task there was primarily, you know, to handle like uh, the drivers, uh, incentives, and even like optimization of the fleet. Really a lot of like demand and supply, like estimations and projections. Nothing as, I guess, big as, I guess, what are currently doing right now. Um, but very interesting all the same. Because then you're actually tackling like real solutions, um, experience, uh, the daily lives and the stories of like these individual bikers. Uh, you kind of like get a perspective that not everyone is on the same level, right? Um, from there, I moved to like, uh, different startups, um, one in e-commerce, you know, some tech and, and, and fintech related ones. And then slowly, you know, I, I realized that. I kind of like am craving for more. So I've heard of crypto uh, ever since, you know, um, I graduated, right? But back then it was mostly about trading. I didn't understand its application. I didn't understand like what blockchain is. 
cryptocurrency for me was just a means to be able to, you know, earn profits, right? People are saying that they can earn 100x, 1000x uh, within months. You know, my, uh, the, the Chinese in me kind of like wanted to also um, take a share uh, in those profits. Slowly, you know, um, I've encountered a lot of individuals who are participants in the ecosystem, right? And they kind of opened my mind to the idea of blockchain and cryptocurrency on how it's actually being used and utilized in different applications. Um, when I rediscovered like crypto um, and blockchain, this time in a different light, right? I first started with decentralized finance, um, trying to understand, you know, why crypto is actually a far superior, I guess, um, technology in terms of having this sort of decentralized financialization, right? What are centralized agencies doing wrong? And why are banks, for example, not as reliable, uh, at least relative to, you know, DeFi, for example? Again, for, for this part, like, I'm not saying like DeFi is the way to go, right? But uh, it presents like a good alternative, especially for a lot of individuals, right? Who are, I guess, not uh, trusting with the banks. It's funny because like uh, on the flip side, like if you ask like people who are much older, right? Um, they would rather have like an RM or a relationship manager and people who they know and trust personally versus like a piece of code. But if you talk to the younger generations, they trust codes more than individuals or people, right? For me, that's really how I started. Like I understood that there is actually value here being provided. People have been asking why, for example, stable coins can return much more yield than, you know, actual banks. And, you know, the answer is quite simple. It's because like they do away with a lot of like inefficiencies. Um, they do away with a lot of like middle middlemen, for example. Um, they do away with a lot of like operating expense because ultimately um, you're just transacting and you're just interacting with gold, right? And you don't have to pay people. You don't have to um, pay for rent. You don't have to, you know, look for the person who would actually loan your money because um, someone else uh, on the other end of like a protocol or on the other end of like, you know, the code, someone is actually willing to borrow your money for this specific interest, right? So, so yeah, basically, um, that's how I uh, started and how I got immersed again into crypto. From there, you know, DeFi yield farming became really interesting for me. But then, as I mentioned like earlier, right, uh, where I'm an avid gamer, I really fell in love with the concept of like NFTs and, you know, its application, uh, blockchain application to, to, to gaming. So my first touch was with Axie Infinity, like a lot of like, you know, OGs, I would say. OGs meaning like uh, pioneers in space. Yeah, uh, first learned about Axie Infinity back in November, where it was under, or AXS is under one cent, uh, under one dollar rather. Axie was pretty interesting because left and right, you hear people like talking about it. And then they were saying like, they can actually earn a lot more here than actual jobs, right? In fact, like their minimum wage or their daily minimum wage is just, for example, an hour of guest play in Axie Infinity. That got me like very curious, right? So how is that like not a Ponzi, right? And I guess like everyone has like the same question, right? If you're just playing and then you're earning, like how is that even possible? Let me try to like understand it, right? Uh, ownership of the asset, um, and then that kind of ownership then leads to, you know, being able to trade these assets, being able to trade these assets then creates like a loop where people would buy in and then you get to farm um, certain assets or certain tokens in game that would then yield you, you know, maybe 
$300 a month, right? That model like really became interesting for me. I then realized that this is a space that I want to be involved in. It's the perfect combination of, you know, exercising my skills, uh, you know, an individual and at the same time, like pursuing my passion for, for gaming, right? Again, uh, I guess like just to give some context, like I'm the kind of gamer who would really buy into these games, um, with gacha system, for example, like trying to collect like all the characters. But it's also natural for, you know, gamers to kind of get bored and tired of their games. So eventually they move on, right? So I get frustrated knowing that, you know, I spent so much money. Uh, and then at the end of the day, like I'm not even able to, you know, use it for something else, right? So the idea of being able to sell these NFTs and to have like ownership of it, you know, really amongst you. And so that's why I became like heavily involved in the space. Got it. So, so you're, you started with finance, now you're into gaming. Can you explain to, for people who aren't that familiar, what is blockchain gaming? Is this, is it the same as PlayStation, PC games, mobile games, etc.? What What is that space you're building in? Well, blockchain gaming is basically gaming with a blockchain layer, right? I wouldn't say like it's that different from regular gaming, right? They just created like its own category because, you know, the earning aspect is one that's, I guess, very unfamiliar with like games. Although I'd argue that um, the earning part isn't necessarily like anything new. They just propagated this play to earn concept as a form of like a marketing scheme, but there have been people who have been like, you know, earning from, from traditional games, right? Although it's not as encouraged, right? And there are no infrastructures to actually support that. You know, if you actually want to sell, for example, your League of Legends or your Mobile Legends account, you would have to sell the entire account, right? And ultimately what blockchain allows for is take that these individual pieces and components to be able to, I guess, have its own life and then be able to transact. Um, with them individually, right? Assuming they are NFTs, right? Or they are tokens in itself, right? Like going back and simplifying the answer to your questions, it's basically just gaming with blockchain application. And right now, I wouldn't say like we fully explored like what it means, um, or, or the different applications that blockchain may have to gaming. Um, earlier, it was simply like being able to quote unquote own your assets and then like buy and sell them, right? But we have seen like further innovations and development in space where right now, you know, you can already track, for example, mileage and it actually changes. So the metadata uh, can now update itself and you can carry on your level. Right? For example, when Axie Infinity started, um, every time you actually buy and sell like the asset itself, it will have to, you know, return back to zero. Right Right now there are, I guess, protocols that allows you or, or, or like technology that allows you to bring on that metadata and to change it. Eventually, like allowing for you to be able to retain whatever progress that person has with, you know, the existing asset to be able to brought back or to be able to, I guess, like monetize that as well. So yeah, there's, there's going to be like feature applications for sure. Um, we haven't fully explored it just like when, you know, free to play first started, right? Nobody knew like its applications and, you know, the, the first few iterations of the games that existed there were quite lame as well. Right. Um, and I think we're kind of like experiencing the same thing. And pretty excited for, for, you know, the future, uh, innovations and developments within like, you know, so-called blockchain gaming. So like you said, with your background, you are a strong generalist. You've gone through multiple industries like logistics with Ankas, finance, e-commerce, et cetera. Why did you finally dive into this specific 
space? What opportunity did you see with blockchain gaming that got you really excited? Well, first, uh, gaming is something that I'm really passionate about. However, like, you know, I'm not like in the business of like coding. Uh, I don't know like how to, you know, be like a product manager or some sort, right? So I thought that, you know, that's not really a space where I can exercise whatever it is that I know or like uh, I'm experienced in. Uh, that part I kind of like killed until like blockchain gaming came. And then, you know, um, given that uh, I'd say like we're quite early in the space and nobody's looking at it, then there's uh, a lot of opportunity to be able to like study it and, you know, experience it. Uh, I guess like compared to, you know, more traditional, I guess, industries, right? Where you already have like a, a set of like standards or, you know, there's already a path to be able to, uh, I guess, climb the ladder, so to speak. With here, uh, in here, like there's a lot of unexplored charters and or unexplored territories, which for me uh, is also interesting. And I'm a very curious uh, individual by nature, so I wouldn't say like I already decided that I'm gonna be here. But since it's a space that um, is very new and it's very early, I'd like to take a stab on it, just like I took a stab on like consulting and I took a stab on you know like like startups in general. Got it. And it is a new space. Uh, everything is unexplored. Is there a particular problem that you're super excited about? Um, what What about this specific venture that you're working on um, is is exciting? Like, what is what is the problem you're trying to solve? For sure. So maybe to give some context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Breeder DAO, I guess, project is all about like asset creation. Um, when you know, Axie Infinity kind of boomed here in the Philippines and there was a surge in the so-called guilds, which essentially uh, a community um, formed around like, you know, creation or like uh, onboarding users um, into the ecosystem, right? Uh, we then realized that uh, if everyone's just going to play, then who's going to be the one supplying the assets that they're going to play, right? So we then saw the opportunity and we then realized that there's actually an opportunity for us to be able to kind of create a market for ourselves because we want to focus on the asset creation side and we kind of like called ourselves like the quote unquote the factory, right? The early problem that we kind of solved was uh, the asset liquidity within like, you know, the more famous games, right? Axie Infinity, for example, where at one point, like each price of an asset reached like what, uh, $800 a piece and you need like three to be able to play. So that's easily like $2,400. And you know, that creates like a huge barrier for, for any individual, right? Now, I'm not saying that we came in to kind of like mass produce these assets and to lower like the overall, I guess, value of these assets, right? Um, but yeah, essentially what we wanted to do was to uh, allow for like uh, a lot more supply to enter into the ecosystem and then to be able to provide, I guess, like a cheaper alternative to new entrants like into the ecosystem. But right now, we've actually shifted away from that. Um, it's not a complete pivot, right? But it's more of like expanding what it is that we do. Early on, like we really decided uh, that we want to be like the factory of the metaverse. How that actually looks like can differ, right? Because as we all know, like crypto moves right, really fast, right? And the trend right now may not be the trend tomorrow, right? But, you know, um, our, our thesis has always been the same, right? What does it mean to actually own like assets in the metaverse, right? If I have an Axie and, you know, the only thing I can do with it is play, right? Is it really true ownership, right? And we've talked about and argued about like true ownership 
because it's verifiable in blockchain, right? But without like the tools that I can, or without, without like any tools, like, is it really like true ownership? Right? Um, am I even able to, you know, without the technical expertise, am I even able to like build something on top of it or like create something on top of it, right? Essentially, what we want to be would be like to empower like users and to kind of like help creators provide like uh, and provide them the necessary tools to be able to craft or to modify their own existing assets, right? If I have like an athlete, then I should be able to maybe change it in a way that I want it to be, right? Add maybe like a few elements or touches that I might be able to claim or I might be able to brand it as my own, right? Or to put like my digital footprint in there. Right now, what we're doing essentially is to, um, or, or what we're doing right now is to um, look for means to provide like builders and creators the tools they need to be able to design assets uh, and then put them back into the metaverse so that they have their own stamp um, and they have their own like means to explore like this so-called um, metaverse, right? And that's something that we're really very much excited about because in the past, like there are a lot of things that we want to create, right? Or uh, in the in the world right, uh, as we know it right now, there are a lot of things that we want to create, right? but it's so impossible for a lot of individuals to create because the resources are limited, right? But in the metaverse, it kind of is like very different, right? You unlock like I mean, land for example is very much scarce here, but you know, in the digital world, land is scarce at all, and you can basically you know mint like new land and then open up like a new world, and then that can be your own safe space, right? And then, you know, when you think about like identities, for example, um, and then, you know, being born into a world where your social setting is kind of like predetermined based on, you know, what you were born with, right? In the metaverse, you can try and recreate yourself, right? And we want to help in the creation of that process where you help to define yourself, you help to define your world, and you are not bounded by, you know, physical limitations or physical resources that currently exist like in our own world. So here you have a chance for a second life, right? You have a chance to, you know, create uh, an ideal setting for yourself and be able to enjoy that, even though, you know, it's a totally separate world from what it is that you want. So it's not like living a lie, right? But it's living, uh, I guess, like a, or a chance for you to kind of explore the possibilities of what could be and, and what is what else is out there, right? More than whatever it is that you were born into. Right, so if I try to understand that a little bit, Peter Dao is trying to make a way to personalize digital assets. So if I have an avatar from mm -hmm. Counter-Strike, League of Legends, etc., I can right. bring it to a Peter Dao, put my spin into it. Maybe it's my own line of fashion, digital goods. Right. And then I can use that in where, wherever I want uh, online. Well, that's the goal. Hmm. So that's the goal. Um, we're, we're also creating our own metaverse where you get to showcase all of these, right? Uh, and the mm. goal essentially, eventually is to be able to bridge those back into whatever world you want it to be brought in, right? Even in the first physical world, right? Uh, if you choose to do so. But yeah, essentially, like that's one of the things, a key things that we want to do. I guess maybe to add to that, it's not just about like modifying existing things, but also allow you to recreate new ones, right? If you want to create your own line of clothing, right, then we should be able to provide a platform to allow you to do so or to allow you to use it, 
in, right? Basically, like we want to bring whatever ideas to life, um, or we want to bring like any ideas to assets, right? Um, and that's ultimately what uh, we want to provide as like the factory of the metaverse. Interesting. I, I wonder why, I guess my question is, why did you choose this path uh, when you kind of like sort of pivoted um, from providing assets with the likes of Asking Infinity? Right. So I think we wanted to stay true to the idea of what uh, digital ownership really means, right? Mm. Where, you know, it's not just about like being able to use your asset to be able to earn, right? The asset needs to be the end and not a means for something else. Previously, how we treated assets, at least in the digital, was always a means to be able to create or to generate money for us, right? Because there's a huge disconnect between us and our assets. It's not like we don't like them, but it's more of like, it's really not something that we own in a sense, or it's at least we're limited by the tools that exist out there, right? You know, like, like for me, um, if I'm going to own this one, uh, or if I'm buying like an asset just to be able to make money out of it, then is that really like, you know, true ownership? I mean, it could be right for, for some people whose goal is that one, but what about for, for other people or explorers who actually treat of like other things as like, you know, their own or, or their uh, physical manifestation or representation of, you know, their ideals or their selves, right? And we want to kind of recreate the same thing or the same feeling in the digital world where we kind of like believe is a, a, a way for people to express their, themselves like more openly. So the feeling that we get uh, when we actually buy clothes, for example, the feeling that we get when we buy like physical toys, for example, it's the same thing that we want to kind of recreate in the world or in, in the metaverse where if you want to buy your clothes or if you want to wear your clothes because you want to look good, right? I guess like show it off to your peers, right? You should be able to do the same, like, like within the metaverse. Um, and right now, actually, we're spending a lot of time online and mm. eventually, you know, um, right now it's via social media. It's purely chat, right? Before, you know, our parents didn't even have like a, a mode of communication, especially when they're far away. Right now, if you want to, Kind of like meet with someone virtually, even though they're like halfway across the world, it's easier. And eventually, you know, if we can help, um, I guess improve or enhance that kind of experience such that it's more closer to, 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 I guess, like the, the physical experiences, right? But at the same time, I guess more accommodating for everyone else, then that's ultimately what we're working towards, right? I guess our contribution to the space is focused on the asset side. Some are building more towards like, you know, the social part of it. But for us, like we want to manifest it to assets. Interesting. So do I understand correctly that you're essentially making a bet that in the future, people, the metaverse will be inevitable. Like there will be a virtual world, like ready player one and people will move from just chatting and video chatting online to actually interacting with each other in sort of a 3D kind of virtual world. And you think this will definitely happen? I believe so. I think mm. it's not just a matter of if, but a matter of when, right? Mm. And depending on like, you know, the developments, just like when COVID happened, right? People would say that, you know, they'd never do like meetings online, but, you know, even until now where, you know, kind of like the restrictions have already eased up, um, now they're more comfortable with 
you know, just doing things like online because they also see like the benefit of it, right? And sometimes it's just impossible to, you know, meet someone, especially if they're halfway across the world. So there will be uh, opportunities um, um, for, 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 for the metaverse itself. It might not like make sense for everyone, but, you know, there will be a huge uh, group of like individuals who for sure will be enticed to use it, right? Or at least if you don't want to use it like every single time, then, you know, once or twice, uh, there, there might be a case where, you know, it's more beneficial for you to use it rather than, you know, the alternative. Okay, that's super interesting. I really want to dive into that. Now, this session, this, this part of the session will be really deep diving into BreederDAO and the problems they're solving for and the solutions that they're working on uh, to really get a sense of the specific things uh, they're working on right now. So, Renz, what is what makes BreederDAO so different compared to other kind of developer platforms focused uh, Web3 gaming companies? So, well, one, we're not like a gaming company. We're more of like an infrastructure that supports it. I think if you look at the positioning of BreederDAO, it's actually quite unique mm. because up until now, like, I don't think like anybody has kind of like copied the same model. Nobody has tried and focused on becoming like a, an asset creator for games specifically, right? Um, there's a lot of like, you know, fashion, I guess, like, or, or there's a lot of like copies um, within the fashion metaverse side, but not in the gaming metaverse specifically. So I think like in general, like we're kind of in a unique position to be able to capture like a huge market. And I guess that's quite important for us because if you think about it, like people may not understand the tech, right? Or they might not understand the reason for being able to showcase your uh, skins or your cosmetics within like, you know, fashion metaverses, but cosmetics within games is something that has already been proven um, time and time again, right? People would actually spend money, um, because they want to showcase, you know, uh, their, their, their cosmetics or their skins like within games. And, you know, sometimes it's more of like a testament that, you know, I have this and, you know, I, this is kind of like my mark, like within game, which is why like a lot of like these, uh, current, like more traditional games are, um, doing a lot of collabs with different IPs because, you know, these IPs also want to partake, like, and participate, like, within these, uh, metaverses, right? And so essentially, you know, um, there are a lot of things that we're trying to solve, but one of which would be, um, bridging, like, merchants or bridging, like, brands, like, into these metaverses, right? Um, via the games, because games for us, uh, is kind of like a universal language, right? Uh, even if, like, you don't play a specific genre of game, there must be, like, some level of gamification on, on, on like, something that have you actually done in your life. And it's, like, a, I guess, in a way, a universal language for all of us, right? It's easy to understand as a concept, right? Uh, and, you know, sometimes you don't even know that you're actually dealing with tech. It's just, you know, games for you. At least that's the approach that we're taking. And um, we're really hopeful that... You know, because it is something that appeals to a lot more individuals, then we can tap into that opportunity as well for ourselves. So you mentioned positioning. Uh, I think that's a really great keyword. If you try to create like a positioning map of the metaverse or gaming um, for Web3, where are you? Or is it like a tech stack or are you like a value chain, uh, a part of that value chain? Could, could you paint a picture for us? Um, I think we're in the intersection of creators brands and the games themselves. Okay. So we kind of support like all three. We're a bridge between the brands and the uh, game IPs 
back to the creators and eventually the users, right? That's kind of like where we are right now. Um, yes, if you can have, if you have like four parties that you feel like, you know, um, are crucial to us, those four would be. Could, could you take somebody who might not be super familiar with gaming or Web3 uh, through like an example conversation or use case? Like who do you talk to first? Do you talk to the brand first? Like does a brand like Nike go to you first and say, hey, I want to get into this game. Could you create an asset for us? And then you will take that asset and bring it to games who will then bring it to users. Or is what, what does the flow look like? Right. So it really depends. Ends. But the idea essentially is say you are like, uh, or you have like a game IP, right? Say it's a robot that mm. actually, I don't know, it's just a robot, right? And that's the character in game, right? And then you come in as a brand as well, where, you know, you want to share your hat, for example, right? And then, you know, you want this hat to be worn by a robot, right? Then, you know, a, a creator comes in and kind of like creates his own like, uh, interpretation of this hat wearable by that particular robot, right? And how did that look like, right? And then, you know, you have users who actually would want or would get attracted to that particular look and they would kind of like buy it, right? It kind of is similar to how we kind of like dress up like mannequins, right? Where, you know, you have brands who actually uh, design these um, merchandise and then you have like mannequins, which are the equivalent of like characters, right? And then you have like users who are, you know, the purchasers of like these specific items and they just wear it themselves, right? Because they feel like, you know, they look cool or like it suits them well, right? So, so that's the idea, at least we're, we're, we're working, right? Uh, eventually we think that, you know, the intersection of these four like parties would play really well, uh, in what it is that we're currently building. Got it. Okay. Is there a real world equivalent of the type of problem slash solution you're trying to create? I guess the closest one would be manufacturer. Right. But I guess like instead of like being the sole manufacturer for this one, we're kind of opening our gates, if that makes sense. The factory is not like solely monopolized by the core group, which is in this case ours. We're also opening up the factory so that people may be able to use the machines that we have, or in this case, like the products that we have, uh, to be able to craft their own, like, I guess, items, right? So you can think of it as like, you know, any random artist or designer can now use the same, I guess, ingredients or use the same, like, cloth, for example, as, you know, an established brand like Nike or, you know, maybe Adidas, right? Uh, and then use the same one and then produce it um, this time with his own or her own design, right? So, so that's kind of like where we're going with Interesting. So is it kind of like a no-code solution where just click buttons or is it going to be like SDKs and APIs? Is it more developer? I guess the question is, is it more developer-focused or like a non-coder-focused? Uh, it's definitely more non-coder. It's actually interesting because there's a lot of like, uh, I guess we're hearing a lot of like news about like recent AI developments, right? Mm. And, you know, you have Lensa, for example, which kind of animates your face, right? And people are very much into that, right? So essentially, you know, we're also working on something, I guess, a bit similar, but instead of like, you know, just 2D images, right. Or, you know, 2D copies, like we're actually trying to develop like something that's applicable for 3D, such that when you actually design it, then it has an immediate use case because you can then use it in the different metaverses um, that exist. So, so at least that's the goal. Uh, and that's what we're working towards. Exciting. So it's going to be like, Hey, 
Breeder Dao changed my Axie Infinity Axie to uh, have this hat and this shoe, etc., etc. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, looking forward to it. Sounds great. Right. Um, in that case, what are the? It sounds like a lofty goal. What What are the biggest challenges that you have? Is it more technical? Is it the demand and supply things, etc.? Well, I think like we kind of got the technical part covered. For us, like the biggest challenge is how like this industry will mature, right? So we're under the assumption here that, you know, there's not going to be like one metaverse that will suck like all the demand for, you know, all the individuals, right? There's going to be like different pockets of metaverses that would, you know, attract like different cohorts of individuals. And we come in as like a, a gateway of some sort to these like different pockets. And, you know, there's going to be like different, uh, Yes, characters, assets, identities that will be created along the way. And people would actually want to, you know, recreate or reimagine themselves like in this world. And our technology can provide for that. Right. But, you know, there are cases where we could be wrong. And <laughs> apparently people don't want to recreate themselves here. They just want to use whatever it is that already exists here. But yeah, yeah, for us, it's really less about like what it is or, or for us, it's really less about like the tech part, but more of like how the market will, I guess, react to this kind of new technology. Will they be scared? Will they embrace it? Will they be open to explore it? Or, you know, is it something that, you know, they genuinely like or, or, or they appeal to them, right? So in that case, what kind of signals are you looking for then? That, you know, okay, this is where we're onto something. Mm-hmm. For us, it's really making like uh, the entire Web3 more understandable for everyone. Right now, there's a lot of blockers in our opinion. Um, the idea of having to create your own wallet, right? Uh, understanding how a transaction works, for example, the different or the numerous, I guess, like fiascos that have been happening over the past few months that creates uh, more uncertainty towards the space, which scares away a lot of people, right? And for us, like creating a safe environment for a lot more individuals who are more risk averse, which by the way is majority of the people, right? And then I guess like creating uh, an easier or like uh, a better user experience, a convenient one for, for everyone is something that we're also looking forward to. Um, we can't like build everything on our own, right? Uh, so um, we're expecting like different solutions from different, I guess, parties and how the market and the different people or individuals in it would react to these individual ones, right? Like for, you know, a certain group of people, like they don't want to understand like blockchain crypto because it's too technical for them, right? If we actually do away with the tech and create like solutions for them, are they going to be more receptive or is there like a, a new problem that needs to be solved, right? Um, there's definitely no like easy path for this one, but, uh, I guess like adoption is going to be like uh, a growing pain like, for, for any new innovation. Right. And that's why we're going as well with gaming first, right? Because we believe that, you know, it's already established. There are, I guess, a lot of points in history where we believe that we can learn from. Um, on how we can actually, I guess, easily penetrate like a group of individuals, for example, or how we can convince people to, you know, try new things out. Uh, and gamification has played like a huge portion or a huge part in that. Got it. In that case, how 
how do you know if you you've won? Is there like a specific north star for Peter Dow? Is it like the number of people using your platform, the partnerships that you that you have? Well, is there a specific metric that you're monitoring? You know, we have like this very, I guess, big goal of mm. that we want like everyone uh, or every life to be influenced by you know a blockchain powered asset. You know, for us, like the goal for us is that for every asset that exists, like in the digital world, we want to either influence it, have a hand in it, or be the one to create it. I guess that's too much, right? Uh, as a goal. And I don't think like that's even feasible, right? But, you know, getting closer there would maybe mean like a success for us. But it's not to say that, you know, we don't celebrate like the small wins. It's just our, you know, BHAG or big hairy audacious goal, right? But in general, for us, like, you know, we take the small wins, um, just being able to change or affect like uh, one life at a time um, via what it is that we're doing um, can also be considered like a win for us. So for every person yeah. that we onboard, for every person that we influence to, you know, maybe recreate, reimagine the life that they want to have uh, and maybe even for a moment, like enjoy um, that kind of life, right? That's uh, a win for us. With that in mind, how how does somebody experience BeaterDAO right now? Do they do they have to play Axie Infinity or they can just go into BeaterDAO and just use the product? Mm -hmm. Right now, like I wouldn't say like uh, there's an actual way aside from you know buying like assets that we've generated um, more for specific uh, games that we're partnered with right now, um, which by the way has no element of customization or personalization yet. Um, but like over the next few months, like uh, we will be showcasing like some of the things that we have. And I'm guessing like, you know, eventually, because right now we're more of a B2B business. Mm -hmm. Um, but eventually we're going to go straight to the users. And that's where we feel like we're going to, you know, influence like a lot more individuals. And I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm very excited for it. Yeah. Awesome. And is the, is the market today affecting BeaterDAO at all? The, the bear market, the, the fiascos, as you mentioned, how is that affected? Well, I guess like in general, every crypto and blockchain project is affected by it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If any, like it kind of reduced confidence in the mm -hmm. overall space. Like prior to that, like, you know, you've already seen like big brands entering, right? You know, everyone's pretty much like announcing that they're, or they have some blockchain application or some sort of like crypto innovation that they're trying to push out. Um, and then it has slowly died down again. So I guess we're, we were affected in that sense. But we also see that, you know, at least like right now, because of all these fiascos, you can kind of separate like good projects from bad. You can separate from, you know, like the Ponzi's, the, the scams from, you know, the builders, the real builders, right? And eventually, you know, these are the things that will happen. And it's better that they happen now while there's only like a, a relatively few individuals affected than when everyone is actually in it, right? And then it decided to pop, right? Yeah, for sure, like it has affected us, but we kind of want to see it in a, uh, I guess, like in a, in a positive light where it provides an opportunity, right? With all the noise that's been going around, like um, previously when, you know, Bitcoin was at, at its peak, right? It's kind of hard to also focus on what it is that you want to build. This kind of like, situation has also allowed us to refocus and rethink on what is really important for us and give us like 
time or Apple time to be able to provide like or create like quality um, products that can eventually, you know, translate into better um, products for us. I have a question before it goes into uh, contact information and the like. How does one get into your space and what would you do to advise them? Web3 space or like BreederDAO specifically? I think specifically BreederDAO, like BreederDAO, blockchain gaming. Um, if they're really interested, how do they get involved? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to get involved, but I think nothing beats like doing your own research, right? Uh, and really like diving deep into the ecosystem. Uh, there's a lot of experiences that, you know, some people can share, some people can tell you, but nothing beats like doing it on your own and really diving deep because you may have like all the technical knowledge of how it works or the things that you want to like do, right? But without like diving deep, for example, with decentralized finance, without like, you know, going through like the different forms or, you know, exploring the different protocols that are involved there. Like, like you wouldn't really know how it really works, right? Or if you don't, for example, like play uh, blockchain-based games, right? And understand like the economy or like how blockchain is used here, then you don't really know or you won't really get uh, an appreciation for it, right? So for me, like if you want to be involved and you want to kind of like participate really, the best thing to do is to, well, get involved and experience it for yourself. Any specific protocol or game or app that you think people should try first? I think that's up to you, right? Uh, I wouldn't recommend. It really depends. Like, like for some people, like actually, it's boring, right? For some people, like every single blockchain game is boring. So it really depends on on, on your flavor, right? There's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna come out in the pipeline. Um, constantly keeping track of these things and knowing what you want. For example, if you're, I don't know, an RPG game. Uh, an RPG gamer, right? There are like a lot of Twitter influencers or like Twitter, not influencers per se, but like legends, right? That are, or crypto legends, for example, that are uh, openly sharing information, right? Um, I guess if there's like one platform, I'd say that you should get into if you really want to dive deep into crypto, that would be Twitter. What I like about this one is that, or what about, what I love about like Web3 industry is that they're very much open and, you know, everyone's just friendly. You can pretty much like talk to anyone and they would kind of like respond and they wouldn't shy away from like helping another friend. So yeah, for me, like just get into it and then just, you know, ask questions, you know, experience like the things that can be experienced here. Of course, like along the way, you maybe scammed, you, I don't know, you may lose like whatever it is that you put into it, but take it as a learning experience. And of course, like don't gamble it all away, right? Take it slow. And there's like, I guess, a lot of time to learn and find people that, you know, or find communities that you resonate with. Awesome. Having said that, how do people get in touch? Should they look up PreterDAO or should they look into uh, your LinkedIn profile? What's the best way? Yeah, I guess like you can do everything. <laughs> uh, you can check LinkedIn. Uh, we have our official ones there. Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, you know, our, our website, for example. Pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, shilling it, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Check it out. Uh, you can also, I guess, reach out directly to me. Uh, I try to respond to everyone as much as possible, unless like it looks like a scam. But yeah, um, generally like open to, you know, chatting with you guys individually or you know you can reach out to you know our groups as well 
Awesome. That's it. Uh, is there any final words before we end this call? Well, um, for those of you who are still skeptical about like what it is that we're doing, I kind of like encourage you to take a deep dive in it before you actually judge. It's easy for you to get discouraged with all the news like coming around, right? And I guess in general, like it's easy for you to be afraid or to fear the uncertainty, right? But it's the same with any innovation, right? Just do your own, uh, just trust yourself. Don't shy away from the opportunities just because like you're afraid of the uncertainty. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Rand. Uh, thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks, thanks for coming by. Oh, thanks, Nigel. And thank you for having me.